All right, good morning, Randolph Street family, and happy Lord's Day to each of you and your families, those who are present here in this room, those joining us online. We welcome each of you, and we look forward to all that the Lord has for us here this morning, uh, week in and week out, as we gather into this space. Uh, we come to give, yes, as we lift up our voices in praise to God, but we come to receive likewise. We, we come to receive as God's people mercy and grace through reminders, clear reminders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that as you give praise to God, you receive grace and mercy uh, as you walk with him this morning. He sustains and strengthens your soul on this Lord's day. A few announcements, if you'll grab your bulletin, please, just a few things to walk through. First is not in your bulletin, but uh, just so you can pray for this family, uh, Michael King, his grandmother passed away the other day. Uh, this is likewise Evelyn Sovan's sister. Uh, but if you could pray for Evelyn, for Michael, for their extended family, I know they would deeply appreciate that. Uh, a few other things in your bulletin. Our training hour classes began today. Hopefully you uh, found one to be a part of. Uh, we have a couple of uh, different class options for adults, men, women, and then a general class here in the auditorium. Uh, hopefully you uh, made your way to one of those. If not, next Sunday, uh, we would love to have you join us. Speaking of today, or last week, uh, it felt so good just to have a normal Sunday. We, we had a gathering. We had a meal afterwards. Thank you to all who stayed behind for all the good food you cooked. Uh, we just had a phenomenal time together, uh, and it just almost felt like COVID never existed, which was an odd feeling. Uh, but thank you for being a part of that. Uh, Sojourner's Luncheon is this Thursday uh, at noon, so make sure uh, you got that on your calendars. Um, the new Randolph Street app, it, hopefully you've downloaded that. If not, go to the App Store today and download that. You need to be a part, sign up with our Member Connect platform. Uh, if you're having any problems with your app, let us know. Uh, let Lee know, let Michael Fra know uh, if you have any challenges with it, and we will seek to uh, work on those and help you get established. There is a directory in the app. Okay, there's a lot of good things, but the directory is the big thing okay, that you will use. It'll be a great tool for you as you minister to one another. Uh, note a few other things down here. Adopt a college student. There's information, I believe, on the back table. You can see Angela or Becky about that. Uh, it's a wonderful idea uh, for our college students who are away from us to encourage and strengthen them in the faith. Uh, today we do have a new song. Hopefully you grabbed your music sheets. It's on the back. It's been back there for a couple of weeks that our worship team will be introducing to us in just a few moments. Okay, all that out of the way, let's take a moment. Um, we've said this for the last few weeks. We believe it's important as we gather on the Lord's Day that we take a moment before we enter into corporate worship and confess our sins to the Lord. Uh, he is a gracious God. He is a caring God. He's a grace-filled God. This text, to my right and to your right and left both, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 let this passage, let this idea, this truth set on your heart as you prepare yourself for worship. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's take a moment. Let's prepare our hearts before the Lord as we come to worship him.
please stand if you would and let the word of God call our hearts together to worship this morning. Listen closely as I read Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Amen. Join to sing hallelujah, amen. Loud praise to Christ our King, hallelujah, amen. Let all with heart and voice before his throne rejoice. Praises his gracious choice. morning for our confession of faith. We have two questions from the Baptist Catechism, both incredibly helpful, fundamental to our faith as Christians. Question number nine, are there more gods than one? There is only one living and true God. Question number ten, how many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
first date, how important that last question is for your faith today. This basic Trinitarian confession of our great and glorious God. Let us lift our hearts to now him in prayer. Well, Father, thank you. This kind of truth has been revealed in your scriptures. Fundamental to who you are. One God. Existing eternally in three distinct persons. Same in essence and equal in power and glory. Lord, you are above and beyond our comprehension or our understanding. You are a glorious and majestic God, and to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bring our praise and our worship this morning. Lord, I would pray for Randolph Street, and just, just in regard to this confession, that this, this truth about you would become core to our lives, in our thinking about you, our God, in our thinking about this world, to behold Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to see how you work and to see to what end you work. Father, may those truths capture our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray for your church this morning here at Randolph Street that you would strengthen those who are walking through difficult days. I think of Michael King, I think of Evelyn Sovan, their families, the loss of a loved one that even this morning, Lord, as we gather here, you would use your gospel to strengthen their hearts and minds and call them to Christ this morning. Oh God, let this pain and let this moment draw them to their Savior. I pray for the family as a whole, Lord, if there are those who do not know Christ, Lord, that through this time and through faithful proclamation of the gospel, they would come to know Christ. Lord, for those within our fellowship who are walking through difficulties, unknown to most. Lord, that you would grant them today much grace, much mercy, bring stability to their mind and hearts and their emotions. Lord, may their faith rise up today, lay hold of Christ. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have of gathering here week in and week out. And it is to you, O oh God, we lift our voices this morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we give you praise. Thank you again for this privilege. Bless our day, we pray. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand if you would. What gift of grace is Jesus my Steadfast love, deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not. 
Your day. 
God's holy word. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one came. The owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them about the eleventh hour. Each came to receive a denarius. Now when those hired came first, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you, and I am not allowed to do what I choose with what I belongs to me, or do you begrudge me gener my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. A reading from the first epistle to the Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I, dis but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified.
seated. Let me invite the four folks who will be joining into our fellowship today. If you would come up front, stand right here in the middle, if you would, please. We were supposed to do this a couple of weeks ago and were unable, but it's a joy to have each of these. It was my privilege as pastime to hold the membership class. Pastor Jason did a couple of classes, and I had the chance to get to know each of these folks well, and that's been a tremendous privilege to me. Let me st introduce them to you. I'm going to start down on that far end. This is Rich Aldridge. I've known Rich for a long, long time. Uh, our ministries and paths crossed out in cross lanes, and we've known each other for a long time. It's been such a joy. You know, as you engage with people and see them walk through their Christian life and watch them grow even as mature believers, it's exciting. And our brother's gone through a good season of growth as he's come back and uh, joined with us here. So, Rich, we're glad to have you. Adam Kissel is next. Adam, good to have you with us as well. I've enjoyed his interaction in class and getting to know him. He's somewhat new to the area. Uh, Mickey and Mary Jane invited them to come. He's a friend of Mickey's, and uh, he came and enjoyed it. Uh, was a member at Capitol Hill up in Washington, D.C., so no stranger to the type of church that we have here. Adam, it's been a joy to get to know you. We're looking forward to our ministry with you here. This is Holly McClanahan. Uh, Holly has a name that most of us uh, are familiar with in the church here. She married Ty. I think that was in August, wasn't it? Yeah, but uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know Holly. I got to know her a little bit prior to the wedding, and she would be in from time to time. But through the class and through some counseling that we've had, uh, getting ready for marriage, it's been a joy to get to know you, and uh, you've been a real blessing. I know you'll be someone that can keep Ty on the straight and narrow, so that'll be a good thing. So. I told her that I wanted to do a little song and dance routine, and so I went back to her this morning thinking I'd shake her up, and I'd say, hey, you ready for that? And she said, yes, I am. So uh, she caught me, so it was good. The last one is Tom Clark. Uh, Tom has been a tremendous blessing to me. He has been so anxious and excited to be a part of our church. He's tried on two or three occasions, and just life itself has kept him from doing that. Uh, but he's been excited to come. Tom, you've been a blessing to my heart. I appreciate your perseverance through some very difficult times in life and your desire to come. He's a neighbor of Blair and Richie, and they invited him here, and they've been a tremendous blessing to him as well. So, brother, we're glad to have you with us. As a part of our membership process, one of the things that they do is uh, not only give us their information so we can keep uh, up with them and engage in their life, but they also sign a covenant that we as a church family embrace here. I'd like to read that covenant to them once again and to each of us, so you listen carefully. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit to his lordship over our lives, having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God and his people, most joyfully enter into covenant with one another in this local church. We will work and pray for the unity of this local church through walking together in brotherly love, edifying, admonishing, nurturing, and caring for one another, speaking truth in love, esteeming others above ourselves, and praying for one another. Further, we will seek to avoid those sins that greatly hinder the unity of the church, such as gossip, bitterness, 
anger, pride, and we will never act as a stumbling block to a weaker brother. We will work together to sustain the ministry of this church through participating in corporate gatherings, observing the ordinances, practicing church discipline, promoting sound doctrine, and giving cheerfully of our finances. Further, we will submit to and pray for those who lead us even as they submit to Christ. We will seek to be men and women that conform our lives to Christ, husbands and wives that pursue God-honoring marriages, grandparents and parents that educate our children in the Holy Scriptures, and sons and daughters that honor and serve our parents. By God's grace, we will be a church that advances the gospel of Jesus Christ to the praise of his glory. I'd like for you to stand, if you would, please, just to affirm their coming into our church body. As you do so, just recognize, as we have been seeing all through the book of Acts, God's great care for his people, and that he has given us the privilege to truly care and encourage and help one another in our walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you personally for each of these individuals, the blessing that they are to my own soul the encouragement that they are to me, the source of joy that they are when I see them. I'm thankful, Lord, that even though they are in different stages of their walk with you, each one seeks to pursue you, to know you, to live a life that is honoring to you. I pray, Father, that we as a body of believers would encourage one another, strengthen one another, that we would see the joy and the tremendous blessing which is ours through Jesus Christ to be a part of a body of believers purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, called to give honor and glory to him, called to help one another, to encourage one another, to care for each other. And I pray, Lord, we would take those things seriously, that we would engage in the body here at Randolph Street in every way to see it grow into the person of Jesus Christ for the glory of your name. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. ask Sean and Carrie if you would come. Each week we have this moment before the preaching of God's word and in your bulletin it's called special music but it, it's much more than that. Uh, week in and week out we have men and women who will minister to us via music and song but let's use this time. Today Pastor Tim is taking us in, back into the book of Acts. Let's use this time to repair our hearts asking God. Let's, let's be active listeners today. God speak to us and how might you shape and form us after your word into the image of Christ? So as they minister to us, may that be the very prayer of our hearts today.
Thank you, Carrie and Sean, and for each one who was a part of leading us into the presence of the Lord today in our liturgy. I know that you keep your minds and hearts engaged in the words that you say, the scriptures that we hear, but they are set forth in a way that I trust will be used to call your heart. I know my own soul, week after week after week, is called into the presence of God to worship him, to give homage to him. My heart is encouraged through the things that we read, through the things that we sing. My soul is comforted. I'm sometimes greatly rebuked in my soul through that which I hear. All the dynamics of giving true worship to God, I trust are present in your soul as we come before him. As Jason mentioned, we're getting back into the book of Acts again today. We're looking at a section this morning that is a very familiar section, but a very lengthy section. It focuses on the life, the witness, and the martyrdom of Stephen. It begins in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, and goes through Acts chapter 7, verse 60. So that's a lot of material to cover. We were introduced to Stephen just a couple of weeks ago, and Pastor Jason spoke what a good, good message. That was so helpful to me, such a good reminder to me 
of how God cares for his church and how he establishes leadership and the caring of the people of, in his body. But we were introduced to Stephen as he was chosen as one of the seven. We refer to them sometimes as the early deacons or the servants of the church. You remember the Hellenist Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, their widows, they felt were being neglected, and therefore they asked that they would choose out seven men who would come and care for the tables so that the apostles could continue to really focus on the study of the Word, the proclamation, the teaching of the Word of God, the ministry of the Word of God, and prayer. And Stephen was the first one mentioned in that group. His ministry went far beyond simply serving tables, as we will see today. He was actively, and I think we could very easily say passionately, engaged in taking the word to the unbelieving Jews, demonstrating in every way that Jesus is the Christ, our only Savior. This portion of Scripture is very strategic in a lot of ways. One of the resources that I used this past week was a resource that Jason has mentioned a couple of times. Dr. Brian Vickers, who was a, grew up in this church, is now a seminary professor, and he has written a, a commentary on the book of Acts. He gives such an insightful overview of this section, and I think it will be very helpful. I cannot add to it. I couldn't say it as well as he did, so let me simply read it to you. Listen carefully. I'm going to come back and kind of touch on some of these points as we work through the message today, but listen carefully. Stephen's martyrdom is one of the most well-known portion of Acts. The narrative falls into three parts, his ministry and arrest, his sermon, and his execution or martyrdom. Stephen provides the first, and this is very important, Stephen provides the first comprehensive presentation of a Christ-centered interpretation of the Old Testament. You think about the other sermons that we've heard thus far. They focus on Christ. They draw from the Old Testament, but focus on Christ. What Stephen is going to do in his witness is to work through the complexity and see the thread of redemption as it runs through the New Testament culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a very strong biblical theology, or as he says here, a Christ-centered interpretation of the Old Testament, recounting and interpreting the history of Israel and highlighting its continual rejection of God that culminated in the final rejection of God in Jesus Christ. In the greater context of Acts, this section is the gateway to the rest of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You remember the church was centralized at Jerusalem. And through this event, it became a gateway to press into these other areas as you read in Acts 1-8 when God commissioned or Jesus commissioned the disciples. And so this is a very strategic passage in that it becomes the gateway for that to happen. At the canonical level, this paves the way for the blessings to flow to the nations. Persecution is the catalyst for the movement. At the textual level, Luke introduces Saul of Tarsus 
a least likely man for the task of bringing the gospel to the nations. Luke spends a great deal of time in helping us understand the character of Stephen. I don't want to get bogged down here, but I think it's well worth looking at, taking a little bit of time to think through the life of Stephen. The scriptures encourage us to understand that the character of a man, the living of a life, it is the fruit of the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Word of God that works itself in, out through us that evidences Christ to the world in which we live. A person who claims Christ but his life or her life does not evidence Christ is a very weak witness for the person of Jesus Christ. Stephen here is going to be on a grand stage in Jerusalem called to give witness of his faith and understanding of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. In order to do so, and even in order to have that privilege, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, you need to be diligent in your walk with the Lord. Be a vessel that is honorable, that you are ready for the master's use, that you are fit that you are prepared for what God has for you. Stephen was a man who truly had been prepared of the Spirit of God. His life had been shaped and molded by the ministry of Jesus. There's no mistake that Stephen was a man who walked with Jesus Christ, listened to Jesus Christ. The message and the principles and the truths of Christ were pressed deep into his soul, as we'll see evidenced in his witness and even how he died. It says of Stephen that he was a man of good repute in verse 3 when it talked about the general things that they were looking for, characteristics in these seven men. He was a man of good repute. It simply means he was well-respected and known among the community. If you would have mentioned Stephen's name, many people would have known him because of his walk with the Lord, his love for Christ, his love for others. It says he was a man full of the Spirit. It mentions this on multiple times. It uses this little term full or controlled or a man who evidenced in every way certain aspects. Here it says he was full of the Spirit. Pastor Jason's already spoken about this earlier and he, as he's gone through, but let me just as a reminder. It simply means that he was controlled by the indwelling Spirit, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Spirit indwelling the bodies of those or the heart and lives of those who are believers in Christ. He's given that Spirit as a seal into the day of redemption. That Spirit has such a ministry. He's a paraclete. He's one called alongside to help us. To be full of the Spirit simply means one who is grounded, in what he does, he is grounded in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, when he speaks about this, writing to the church in Galatia, uses these words to speak about a Spirit-controlled life. It is one who walks by the Spirit, one who is led by the Spirit, one who bears the fruit of the Spirit, the various characteristics of Christ, and one who lives by the Spirit. A life that was clearly marked by God in attitude and behavior, consistent in word and deed. Timothy was a man, or Jane, or excuse me, Stephen was a man 
who was full of the Spirit. It also says in, in verse 3, he was full of wisdom. He had, by the Spirit of God, skill in navigating situations. We'll see that today so clearly evidenced that Timothy pressed into a very, very difficult moment. It is evident that the Spirit of God is leading and directing and helping him and showing forth great wisdom, full of faith. Several weeks ago, I, the last time I preached, we spoke about the armor to do battle with the evil one. And it talked about the shield of faith, that all-pervasive shield that protected us and how very core faith is to walking with God, just simply trusting God. I know that seems simplistic, but it's so difficult at times. Would Stephen trust God in that moment when his life was in the balance, literally? Are we going to trust God in those moments when our faith cannot see exactly what is there and our hope is in the, the written word of God and the promises of Christ and the character of Christ, the character of the salvation that we have? Stephen was a man who was evidenced by this trust, this faith he was controlled it overwhelmed his life and, sh and showed constant fruit in his life he was full again that little phrase full of grace and power he was enabled by God to do the ministry for God's glory Jesus would say to his disciples but you will receive power you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The author of Acts, Luke, says in his gospel, at the end he says, And behold, Jesus says, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. You stay in the city until you are clothed with power. How is that power seen? the life of Stephen, it was seen in the strength to persevere in the midst of very, very difficult times, to overcome sin in our life. Many of us battle sins that so easily beset us, sins that overwhelm us, and the power of God is being able through the Spirit of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, to overcome that sin. To stand against the enemy as the enemy brings an onslaught against us as we see in so many places in the scriptures. Satan does battle against us to have the strength to be able to stand in the midst of that battle and to have power and strength to witness for Jesus Christ. Stephen was a man full of grace and power. He did signs and wonders it speaks of the apostles in chapter 5 doing signs and wonders. Pastor Jason, when he introduced this book and came to chapter 3, took almost a whole message that day and really laid out for us, helping us to understand because it's a prevailing thought and, and event throughout the book, or events, where there's miracles happening. And he spoke about the fact that it's not a normative part of the Christian life. We don't live in miracles. But it was certainly evidence of God's supernatural power in doing something for his honor to validate his message. 
And Stephen, like the apostles, was doing great signs and wonders among the people. It says that he had wisdom and spirit when, or wisdom of the spirit when he was speaking. All you have to do is really take time and read this long section. I'll not take time to read it today, but it'll evidence his wisdom. Also, it says he had the, his face was like the face of an angel, which is a very interesting comment here. Uh, it's found in chapter 6, verse 15, if you'd like to look at that. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I don't really know exactly what that means. I don't know exactly what you've been looking at. You read the scriptures and you see many times in the Old Testament that, that there was this kind of glory, this aura that would surround a person. I think about Moses coming off the mountain. Various times when people engaged God and there was just this like the face of an angel, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The only thing I can say is that there was something about his presence, something that you saw. These people who are questioning him are not favorable to him. So it isn't a compliment. It was just a reality. They looked at him and his face evidenced the presence of God in such an unusual way. You know, our faces can evidence things. When, when you're sad, people can look at you and say, oh man, you're having a tough day, aren't you? Because your, your face exposes your emotions or you're giddy about something and you're just all lit up about it or whatever the case would be. But for Stephen, he was a man who had been in the presence of God, in the presence of the Word, serving our great God, ministering to the table, ministering to widows. And as he met before them to face the accusations of this group, they looked upon him and he, he showed forth the presence of God. What a tremendous testimony of this man. Let's go back to chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 8 and just read a little bit of the narrative here to kind of Help us step into the moment here. Stephen, we've already talked about him. That's the character of this man. So when you see his name, that's the person we're speaking of. All these things that, that make up Stephen. It says, Stephen was full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen. So we see that it's a Jewish collection of Jewish people. The freedmen, they typically say, were men who, and women who had been released from prison who started this synagogue. There's people from various places that are attending this synagogue, the Alexandrians, the Cyrenians, uh, from Sicily, Asia. He says they rose up. This group, Stephen is ministering publicly. They raise up or rise up and they are going to dispute with Stephen. They're going to argue with him. They're going to press him that what he is doing is not true. What he is saying about Jesus is not accurate. Just like they stood and opposed Jesus Christ, they would send group after group after group to try to trip up Christ, to try to put him in a bad light. And that's what they're doing. They're disputing. They're trying to make little of the testimony of Stephen. But it says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. 
So Luke is very careful here not to applaud the academic mind of Stephen. Just like Paul, when he would go into an area, he said, I want you to understand that I come preaching. The gospel itself has inherent power. I come speaking with the power of the Spirit of God, bearing witness on the gospel and placing it in your heart. It isn't something I'm saying. It isn't that I can somehow string together words to manipulate your emotions. It is truly of God and God alone that's doing this. And so as Stephen is engaging here in ministry, he's engaging in a way that evidences God working through him. Verse 11, and they secretly instigated. They couldn't overwhelm him. And so just like with Jesus, just like on many occasions, they bring false witnesses. And so they instigate people and they begin to say that Stephen is speaking blasphemous words. Same thing they said about Jesus. It doesn't look back on Stephen's background, but I would almost venture to say that Stephen spent a great deal of time in the presence of Jesus as Jesus traveled. He was so well aware of the character and person and witness of Jesus on this earth that it so saturated him that when you squeezed him, Jesus came out. When you squeezed him, it was evident that what Jesus did in the character of Christ and the persona of Christ came out through Stephen. They said, you have spoken blasphemous words, two allegations. You've spoken blasphemy against Moses. When you see the word Moses, normally you're going to see the law tied to something. And you've spoken blasphemy against God. Here, as we continue to see, it had to do with the temple. It had to do with some of the words that Jesus had said about the temple. They accused Jesus of saying, I'm going to tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. And they said, that's crazy. This man is against God to even say something like that. Even as Jesus bore witness of who he was. And so they're saying the same thing. You're blaspheming God. You're blaspheming Moses by saying these things, by attacking them. Look down to verse 13. It says, And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and law. Now, certainly he was not after the temple. He was not trying to tear those things down. But he was trying to say, just as Jesus said about the law, that he came to fulfill the law that the law was never a means of being righteous. You could never keep the law. The law was there to expose the heart. Jesus would say, you say this, but I say the other. Listen to what the law is actually saying to you to reveal the sinfulness of your heart, to show that you are exceedingly sinful, that you cannot of your own accord by keeping the law ever merit the righteousness of God. It is only, as we say here, through the work and testimony of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And so that was the accusation that they bring to him. Verse 14, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And there was a change that was going to be implemented. Tremendous change in some ways. Not the throwing off of everything, particularly in those early days as the church is evolving. We see that all through Acts. We'll see as we continue to study. 
chapter 7. And the priest said, are these things so? Can't you, can you hear Jesus? Can, can you see Jesus Christ in the same thing happening? Where Pilate would say to him, hey, what are you going to answer to this? Stephen, like Jesus Christ, never humored them, never caught off guard, but with a purpose so very clear, launches into this testimony. The early church was built on persecution, on tribulation. It's such a shame in America today that the church is seen as this thing that just gives you a, a free and easy life. There's just no challenge much to it. You just have enough faith. You get whatever you want. Anyone who has walked with the Lord knows that many things happen through trial and persecution and tribulation. As we begin the witness of Stephen, I want to bring a couple of verses to our attention that I think are very important. I can just, I can, I can just hear Stephen quoting this in his mind as he launches into this message, this witness. Jesus would say, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself and what you should say. Can you imagine Stephen quoting this to himself as he's getting ready to talk? Jesus had said this, and this is where he is anchoring his soul. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust what Jesus is saying here. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And again, Luke tells us later on in the ministry of Jesus, he emphasizes this once more. Luke 21. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. That's why when the apostles left, they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus, for the glory of Christ. This will be your opportunity. I love this. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. When they bring you into this setting, just like the martyrs gave tremendous testimony as they were ready to be engulfed by flames or whatever, this is your opportunity, he says, to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how you would answer, but I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Every word of that you see come true in this portion of Scripture. I can just see Stephen's heart anchoring, digging deep into that truth. He takes a breath, and he starts out. Brothers and fathers, hear me. That's boldness. I want you to listen to what I'm going to say to you. I am going to bear witness of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to read through this entire passage, but it's worth your reading. If you're a little shaky on Old Testament history, this is a tremendous overview. But there are some themes that Stephen's going to develop here. One is the sovereignty of God 
in the choosing of a people. The sovereignty of God in directing history and choosing a people. He begins with the choice of Abraham before Abraham was still up in Mesopotamia, and he speaks about that. And then through Abraham, he moves into Isaac. The promise given to Abraham falls to Isaac, falls to Jacob, falls to the 12 patriarchs. And he begins, continues to speak about that. So there is this sense of God sovereignly directing history. He's going to go to Moses and how God chose Moses to deliver the people from Egypt. Then he's going to move on to David and how God chose David. And he's going to run right up to the very point in the, in the last part of his sermon where he's going to come to the righteous one, Jesus Christ, the one that the prophets spoke about, the one the Old Testament was speaking to and pointing to over and over and over again, God sovereignly directing the history of Israel to the person of Jesus. What a testimony of redemptive history. And we see that all through this message. Another thing that we see here is promise and fulfillment. God made a promise to Abraham. God fulfills the promise. God made a promise to Moses. God fulfills the promise. God has made promises to the nation of Israel, and he fulfills them in the person of Jesus Christ. And so all through this message, we see promise and fulfillment. We also see the rejection of the people. In verses 35 and 39 and 51, as he's moving toward the climax of his message, he indicates repeatedly that God sovereignly promised these things. He's fulfilling those things in their very sight, and yet they reject them. They reject them. They reject them. They reject the very law that they're holding on to. They reject the promises of God. God leads them out, and they reject these things over and over and over again. God sends these magnificent, powerful prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, Elisha, powerful men, Daniel, Amos, Hosea, these men that cry forth the promises and the power and the proclamations of God. They reject one after the other, after the other, after the other. Now he comes to the final part of his message. Let's look down at verse 51. I'm telling you, you talk about someone with courage of the Spirit of God, just like Jesus in the face of ultimate persecution stands and bears witness to the truth, calling people to repentance. You stiff-necked people. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're familiar with that illustration and picture of a person rejecting God. You no doubt have seen it. You probably have even experienced it personally when someone says something to you and you don't like it, you just kind of stiffen yourself. It's a means of saying, I ain't going there. You are not doing that. I am not doing that. You stiffen yourself. It's a stiff neck, not one that's pliable and mobile, but stiff against the Word of God. You uncircumcised in heart and ears. Again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the teaching of Christ, this illustration is so plain, so clear. 
what tied them to the covenant was circumcision. But all they could ever see was the physical evidence of this circumcision. They didn't understand that God was looking at something much, much more. It was a circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the flesh, the, the exposure of the heart to God in faith, believing him. It's the circumcision of the ears that drop away those things that allow you to hear the truth of God's word, for God to open your eyes to these things, your ears to these truths. Stephen said, don't you understand? You're a stiff-necked people. You're uncircumcised in your heart. You're uncircumcised in your ears. And you always resist the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God that bears these witnesses, the Spirit of God that bore upon people to write the Word of God, the Spirit of God who is ministering. You are constantly resisting what the Spirit of God is seeking to do in your midst. And you have for generation and generations and generations. As for your fathers, as your fathers did, so do you. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's Jesus Christ. You go back through Acts and you'll see Peter calling him the holy and righteous one. The one who is completely righteous and can give righteousness. And so it is a, a comment about Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. And you who received the laws delivered by angels, you didn't keep it. Well, you can imagine step into this scene there's a lot of people here they're not going through the normal way of a trial they're short-circuiting they are angry they are caught up in the emotion of the moment they have this hatred this has been escalating you remember in chapter 4 they took Peter and John they brought them in they talked to them and they warned them don't you be doing this and it says it, they were annoyed by this in chapter 5 it gets amped up a little bit they put him in prison God sets them free they bring them back in it says they wanted to kill them but they didn't so they just beat them and sent them away telling them don't speak in the name of Jesus don't speak don't minister don't witness in the name of this man and they said, hey, you, you do what you have to do. We must obey God. We will bear witness of Jesus no matter what. That sounds good until you're the one saying it and you have people that you know more than likely will take your life. But Stephen stands and he makes these proclamations and they are getting overwhelmed by their emotions. Look how they respond. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and ground their teeth at him. I think we can understand what, what this would look like. I mean, they are just out of control. But he, in contrast, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see one of those moments where heaven steps into an earthly scene. Heaven's always fully engaged in earthly events, but sometimes you just see it, like the heavens opening up and the dove coming down and God speaking. The transfiguration, 
just heaven coming down upon earth. And it says, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Stephen's seen this, and no, no doubt the other people too. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. This is almost comical as you stand back and look at it. If you would have been there, I'm sure it wasn't so comical. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. They did not want to hear this. They stopped their ears. They're running toward him. They cast him out of the city. They stoned him, throwing these huge stones upon him until he was beaten to death. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Very important transition. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I want us to consider two things here that I think are important as we walk away from this sermon today. One, I want us to think of the responses of Stephen. They are so Christ-like, so centered on the gospel, upon truth, not at all self-looking to self. Verse 56, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he sees this. It's what he's saying. They're hearing this. I see God. I witness to his, the truth of his person. In verse 59, it says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What a proclamation of truth. You're ready to die, and you recognize everything that you are hoping in is true. Jesus Christ, the true and living God, there is an eternity, there is a heaven. Lord God, I am placing my everything in you. The same thing that Jesus said to the Father, Father, receive my spirit. And then it says in verse 60, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who's that make you think of? He just breathed. He bled Jesus Christ. Oh, that we too might know Christ, that we can speak of Christ, that we might live like Christ. Christ. When someone squeezed us, Christ would come out. That we would walk with him, that we would know him, that people would see Christ in us. That's such a powerful witness of this portion of Scripture. Don't miss it. The second thing that I think is so critical, that it's easy to overlook, but it's so critical in living life, one of the things we've talked about is Jesus building his church. How's he do that? You, when you see a building go up, you don't always see everything that goes into it that is critical for it to be a substantial building. But many things have to happen kind of behind the scenes. As God builds his church, many things happen that we don't see. God is moving, God is sovereignly directing, God is building, and we don't always see everything happening. That's so important for us to remember. Because if you don't, sometimes you get discouraged and you wonder, this is all useless, this is just stupid. 
wasting my time. Why is God even doing this anyway? You think about Stephen, one such a godly man who is bearing witness of Christ, one of the leaders of the early church. You would think God would protect him in absolutely every way to allow him to preach the gospel. He is a man who is just equipped. Everything about him says, man, he's going to go to the top. And God took his life. If you would have been a witness there that day, you might be saying, man, that was, I don't know, it didn't seem right. Here's a great man. What a waste. What a waste. you think about the times that the martyrs through the centuries have looked at the life of Stephen and gathered from it comfort and courage to be able to face martyrdom. You think about Paul, what he saw that day. A man that he introduces Saul. It's just almost like an afterthought. We know it isn't because Paul's going to become such a strategic person. God is going to use this to take the church and move it as a gateway, as, as, as Brian Vickers said. So what seems to be, oh man, on the surface, I'm not sure this is a good thing. We see a sovereign, wise, good, caring God building, shaping his church using all these things for his glory. Now, when you're in the midst of the persecution, it's not as easy to see that. We get a glimpse of it here, but I want you to understand, even though we don't always see it, no one saw Paul was going to be a, 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 a missionary to the Gentiles. No one saw that. No one saw what was going to happen, but God did. Rest in Jesus. Rest in God's divine work in our hearts, in our lives, in our church. Because he is building a church to his glory. Amen? Father, thank you for the opportunity to share this portion. Thank you for the life of Stephen. Thank you for the recording of these events that we can read it these centuries later how it impacts our own souls. Lord, Holy Spirit, take this message, take your word, use it in whatever ways that you would see fit to build your people, to work in our lives, to glorify yourself. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Rose through the skies to worlds unknown, glorious there he ever reigns, object of all heaven's praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, the king of love is on his throne. Hallelujah, hallelujah, his grace will lead safely home. See him 
See the scars of his great love. He has conquered death and sin, saving all who hope in him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, the King of love is on his throne. Hallelujah, hallelujah, his grace will lead us safely home. dwells beyond the stars his redeemed are on his heart even now he intercedes jesus cares for all our needs hallelujah hallelujah the king of love is on his throne hallelujah hallelujah his grace will lead safely home. Hallelujah, we are redeemed. Hallelujah, Jesus is into that text. I think Tim would say this to you. Go home this afternoon, take some time, read through all of Stephen's sermon, especially with those themes that he brought out for us. Just read through that sermon. See just the providential hand of God moving everything, everything in the Old Testament to Christ. As you were preaching, I was thinking that, that famous, I don't know who even said this, the, the famous quote, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And man, you see it with Stephen. What a Christ-like man. Um, may that truth settle deeply into our hearts this afternoon as we depart together. Just a quick reminder uh, for our elders and deacons, we have a, a very short meeting about 15 minutes after the gathering up in the old chapel. And now together, as we do each week, let's join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 